Praise be to God. As we gather today and open the word, it's a not particularly warm word from the Lord at first glance, but in reality it is when we understand the context. When you get a card or maybe a video from a parent or grandparent, the contents of it usually is is really concerning the context. If it's a birthday card, it's a warm celebratory. Um, If it's a video, maybe they're away and they're congratulating you on another year older and, and you have this warm celebratory tone. But if it's a video or a card maybe or, or a note about the reality of, of an end of a life, maybe it's cancer or, or maybe things are changing where they're moving away and there's a different tone. And here we see Jesus is nearing the final moments of his death where he's going to pay for the sins of the world and then rise again, ascend to heaven. And now Now there's a new experience. Now the God who created everything is going to live in those who believe, but it's going to be different. And so he he shares with them, because his hope is they would be aware but not afraid. They wouldn't fear. As they've learned not to fear with God there, they would know not to fear because God would be in them. So Jesus gives us specific signs in limited time to, to increase the urgency and most modern YouTube podcast dream prophetic tones are specific signs and specific time. They, the, this is the time, and, and there's all these dates which keep getting messaged to me of April 23rd, which has already passed. You know, all these weird times that are specific, because they're specific signs doesn't mean there's a specific time. Doctors say you have months to live. There's limited time, and there's a specific sign. And so Jesus is saying, hey, we've known these signs are coming and it breaks my heart. The tone is not a fear, doom and gloom tone. The tone is very heartbroken and heavy hearted and, oh, I wish this wasn't true, but it's true and it's coming your way. And so, so take heart because I've overcome the world. And so we see as we observe these first signs the Lord gives the disciples, we group these signs into three categories. There's a personal, a local, and a cosmic. These are signs that that came upon the first church and in the early church. And then we see the personal signs that affect the disciples. The local signs affect Jerusalem and the cosmic signs affect all creation and all nations. And we see similarities of, of where we're heading in, in the season we're in now, but it already has happened. And we see in the transition with the, the fig tree, we'll mention later, that's actually drawn from Daniel and Joel. So it already happened once, it's happening again, and it's continuing. And so the, the, the encouragement here is the question. We've looked for this tabernacle. We've looked at this building that we've amassed, and isn't God's spirit dwelling in there? Therefore, nothing could come against God's house and God's people, right? And Jesus is saying, no, actually, that's going to be destroyed because the, the tabernacle where my spirit dwells is going from a building to a person, to those who believe. And there's going to be this destruction that's going to happen that's fulfilled in AD 70 when Rome is sacked, or Rome sacks Jerusalem and all the gold is melted through the fires and they have to turn stone over to get the gold out, fulfilling what Jesus said. So they're asking, when will this happen? What are the signs? And Jesus responds by saying... First off, there's going to be false teachers. 
and antichrists. The disciples must be on guard against the false Christs who attempt to lead people astray. They say what David Koresh said, all of the signs given, this is the one given with a warning. Stay away from them. Don't entertain false teachers. Don't listen to the half-truths, the partial truths, mostly truths, but expose the false teachers. And they enter the church right from the beginning because Satan... Jesus knew when when he died, rose again, ascended to heaven, Satan and all of hell would come against the church and his believers. And so first and foremost, he would create false truths, half-truths, partial truths, hard to discern. And and the scripture never invites us to be open-minded with these attitudes, but rather it encourages those who listen to expose the lies. And then he says, in addition to the, the false teachers Antichrist, people against Christ, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, 9 through 10, which is the second sign of the coming of the end, which includes speculation about wars. And all throughout human history, there's whispers of conflict and violence. And then there's natural disasters, which this past winter, you know, my kids, 8, 9, and 10, were like, what's happening? There's actually water, like normally pools is falling from the sky. We've never experienced this before. And in our backyard, we had an inch or two of water, and like, oh, what's going to happen? Is our house going to flood? It's like, no, we, we, we did okay. Others, we need to pray for them, because their house didn't do okay, and there's like shipping containers and RVs, you know, sailing down the Salinas, which we've never seen in their lifetime. We've seen it before, but they got too close to the riverbed, and all of a sudden, what's happening? And, and the natural response as the creation to cry out to the creator and say, do you see what's happening? Do you know what's going on? So Jesus' heart is heavy going, man, there's going to be people lying to you. There's going to be destruction. Your life's not going to be as peaceful. And there's naturally going to be confusion and chaos. And you're going to wonder what is going on and do I even know? And it's similar to what, what Paul says in Romans eight twenty two: the whole earth is groaning. All of creation is awaiting the redemption of Jesus coming. And so... Following that, in verse 12, he shares there's Christian persecution. The fourth thing he says, there will be persecution that's going to arise. And it's not just going to come from government or your employer or your neighbor who doesn't like the way your, your 20 cars in the front yard might be, you know, to his liking or whatever. He's like, is this a used car lot or a front yard? It's like, well, it's North County, it's both. Um, and so, you know, it's people from slow are like, how do people have all these cars? It's like, well, there's different, different economics, you know, you do different things with money. And, and so there's Christian persecution. Just because we're in America, once you read the Fox Book of Martyrs, over 3,000 copies were sold, and there's 270 illustrations of Christians giving their life for the Lord. It's interesting, the, the, the word martyr meant witness, they just simply witness Jesus. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. You're going to be my martyrs, what Jesus was saying. But because they were witnessing about Jesus and that that wasn't a pagan deity and it wasn't a Roman government official, they were killed. And so many Christians were killed. Actually, so often in the, in the persecution, it rose from, from wives, women, and children was their initial target. And so often the, the wives of government officials would be found out to be a Christian and be tried by their husband and killed. And so, so many people 
died, especially under Nero, that the, the blood was so thick and dark running through the streets, the streams of blood from so many Christians who were killed in the arena, fed to lions, wrapped in the skins of animals and fed to dogs. Christians were, were soaked in a wax shirt and pants and nailed to a tree lit on fire during Nero's reign. It was so devastating that they, they ended up retranslating what that word martyr meant to be someone who died for bearing witness of what they believed. And that came, in verse 16 we read, that you're going to be delivered up even by parents, brothers, relatives, friends, and some of you they will put to death. In verse 13, Jesus is saying, don't, don't freak out though. Don't, I know it's hard to hear. I know it's devastating. I know it's going to just wreck your heart. But he says, in verse 14, settle it now in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. In verse 15, I'm going to give you your mouth wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. And it's amazing hearing the martyrs' testimony as they're being tried, sharing what scripture says, sharing the same themes of God is for you. He's, he's loving. Let me just share the gospel with you. And, and they say the same pattern of what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, basically. He rose from the dead. We're not that crazy. And the Romans thought they were crazy because they didn't worship their gods, the pagan gods. They didn't worship the government. And, and they, would, they would very quickly isolate and pull away from the normal rituals and themes of the day, which was interesting when we were in this, this all-inclusive resort checking in. And we're like, hey, what's there to do around? And they're like, oh, are you going to do the party thing in Puerto Vallarta and, and the romantic zone? And we're like, well, we're here for our anniversary. They're like, sweet, you're here for anniversary. Go party it up in the romantic zone. And we're like, man, it's been a long time since we've been invited to a party like that, you know? And as, as a pastor, usually once I drop pastor or missionary, people tend to not extend those invitations so readily. But it's Mexico, so apparently it doesn't matter. You just, here's what we do here. And in telling people about where we're going, they're like, oh yeah, don't go there. It's all parties. Or yeah, go there. Here's the, where the party's at. It's like, oh, okay, maybe, yeah, we were 45 minutes away, all-inclusive deal, 400 acres, definitely a different scene. But it's so interesting how the moment you bring up Christ, the conversation's over. And, and we've entered that and we've continued in that culture where people aren't as open to dialogue. People are drawing lines hard and fast of here's where it stops and if you continue, there's gonna be a consequence. And we see that was the culture then and Jesus knew. It's gonna be hard and it's gonna hurt and some of you will die. And he tells us this is coming because it's not to scare, it's for us to be aware but not afraid, to be comforted and confident with the hope in him that he's not gonna abandon us. He's actually in us giving us the strength to walk through it. And as this hatred towards Christians grows, in verse 17, you'll be hated by all for my namesake. I, I can't just walk away and just see that we're, we're not hated for, for doing the good things God calls us to do. We're hated because of Jesus' name. They're hating Jesus still. It's, it's, it's his banner over us. It's his name that we represent. And then he says in verse 18, not a hair of your head will perish but your endurance, by your endurance, you will gain your lives. So then secondly, after he moves on for the personal to the, 
the local signs in Jerusalem's destruction and the local signs 20 through 24. The Lord gives us markers of the coming end that addresses Jerusalem locally. And the original question of the disciples was about the temple. So Jesus answers that about the holy city and first Jerusalem will be surrounded by our enemies. Verse 22nd will be defeated. Verse 24 and death and captivity will befall them. They'll be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles and exiled into nations. And this is the terrible woe that comes in verse 23. All will happen to fulfill all the things that are written in verse 22. He's saying this is going to happen. It was prophesied. It was told. And so it must happen. I wish it wasn't true. I, my heart breaks for you. Again, it's this tone of this like, oh, I'm making you aware so you're not afraid and you know what to do in verse 22. And the calamities are the result of a world out of control, which we're seeing once again in Romans 1 when Paul says he, he delivered them up to the debased mind. Their, their mind is corrupt and looking for all in any way to sin and do evil. They're, they're, as we've said, like logic has, no one can maintain a logical conversation because of the feelings trump facts. And so we're seeing the result of that which the result is God allows judgment to come and he's saying, I'm the savior. I've come to make a way. Although there's hard times coming, there's a way to be saved. And so in verse 23, we see Jesus doesn't just present this doom and gloom scenario without saying, look, in verse 23, the women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people, God's judging this people who've turned their back from him. And he's saying, look, the pregnant women, the children leave. And, and Josephus, the, the Jewish historian, says that when, when Rome started encircling Jerusalem, a lot of the women and children and the believers who read God's word, his letter to them knew this prophecy, they actually fled Jerusalem for the hills. It was like the salmon running. If you've ever seen the Alaska where there's actually fish that come out of the ocean and, and run through the streams to lay their eggs upstream, it was like that, this massive exodus of people because they heard God's word, they knew it was true, and they benefited from that. And so God always is for us, but there's still a judgment that he's sharing is coming, so here's a way to escape it. So secondly, he shares the universal distress and the cosmic sign. This, the Lord gives us a sign that affects the universe, the cosmic signs and the sun, moon, stars, seas, and waves in verse 25. And he uses this imagery of this devastating end and the heavens will be shaken to, to share with us as we see people fainting with fear, with expectation of what is coming to the end of the world in verse 26. But verse 27, and then they will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power and great glory where Jesus comes back on the Mount of Olives. So this is moving to future. So Jesus is sharing what's going to happen, what's fulfilled in, in the, the sacking of Jerusalem in AD 70, and now he's moving into what's coming. And he's saying, look, in verse 28, when you see these things take place, straighten up, raise your head because your redemption is drawing near. And then he tells them about the signs with the fig tree and says, when you see the buds come out, you know, you know that the sign is to let you know that summer is already near in verse 30. So when you see these signs taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. He's saying these signs are specific, but the time, the time is short. So they're wondering when these things are going to happen. What's going to happen? Give me proof. Give me some signs. And it's, yeah, here's some specific signs, but here's a limited time. Free to be aware, but unafraid. 
And I'll, I'll be honest, in just this section, he draws so much from Joel, Daniel, Old Testament that a book, much less a sermon, can't do it justice. But I encourage you, it's, it's that heart of Jesus saying, you know these words are true. You know this is prophesied. It's coming, but I'm going to provide a way out. And that promise isn't just for this time in this place in this world. It's for the eternal soul to have a savior that's going to save them from eternal separation from God. It's the second coming. So Jesus is like, hey, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hot. It's going to hurt right now. But here's the peace I'm promising. It's not, it's not of this world. So the world can't touch it. It can't take it from you because I've overcome the world. So you have this peace. You have this hope in a, in a present savior who's going to be in you, not just walking beside you anymore, but giving you the power to endure. So he shares this is coming. So there's no distraction, right? Isn't it comforting you have a GPS? And I love it because it recalculates. I don't think I've ever followed the Jeep. My wife can attest. She's always like, you just missed the, the street. I'm like, I'm sorry. Like, is your brain okay? Are you, I'm like, yes, I, I'm a guy and I didn't, I just turned everything off and I was just driving on the freeway. Like, there goes our exit. And the GPS is like, hey, you missed it again, recalculating. It's like, yeah, what else is new, right? That's the, God's word for us is, hey, you blew it. Here's a punishment, but it's okay. I still am going to save you. Here's a consequence, redirecting your route by my grace, not because you followed my rules perfectly. I'm still going to get you to the same destination, but you have to follow my word. You have to repent. You have to believe. You have to possess it, not just profess it. It's one thing to say, no, we have God's word. We know God, but do we possess it? Do we listen to it? And do we let him guide us? Because he's sharing with us. This is coming. So the question for us, as he's pulled from history, as he's pulled from prophecy and said, yeah, this happened once and it's going to happen again and I'm going to walk you through it. I'm going to save you out from under it. Some of you are going to die. It's going to be really hard for all of you. How can we, how can we stand before Jesus? Are we ready to stand before Jesus is the second point. How can we be worthy to stand before Jesus. The Lord gives us eight ways to prepare and he starts with the first. When he looks at the woman giving all she has in the temple, the widows giving two mites, which really the first thing, have we given all to Jesus? Or we just profess it with our mouth? Is it just lip service? Or are we surrendering our, our whole lives to him saying, I want you to take all of my sin in exchange give me your perfect life. Randy Alcorn in a book on money, possessions, and eternity really calls out, especially pastors, myself, you know, if she came, modernizing this example, if she came to me and said, hey, I got two mites, I'm poor, I'm broke, this is all I got for me, honestly, I would say, okay, just hold, like, maybe go buy bread with that. But Jesus is saying, no, give it all to me, trust in me, and, and the Lord commends this woman because she gives everything in worship to God. It's an example of her total surrender, is that our posture before the Lord today? Are we going, ah, oh, I'll show up here, and some people might think just Sunday, Easter, two times a year. Some people are like, once a month. You know, what is that bargain you've made with, with, with Jesus? He's saying, no, there's no bargain with the gospel. It demands all. I gave all myself for you, now you give all yourself to me, and we'll make this exchange. It's 100% both ways. We must believe in him as Lord and Savior, not just the Savior, who bails us out and redirects the route on like a GPS. No, it's 100% commitment to him that's a result of possessing him, 
having his spirit in us guiding us, but we gain that by grace through faith. So he says, the second thing, don't be fooled. Don't be afraid. There are going to be antichrists. There's going to be wolves coming in, disguising themselves as sheep. They're going to teach a different gospel, and they're going to do it using the gospel. They're going to manipulate. They're going to say things that are true isms. They're going to be true-ish. They're going to be partial truths, half-truths, mostly truths, but they're going to add to the gospel. They're going to tweak it. There's four of them that I've distilled. One that's most common, it's been here the longest, is the prosperity gospel. You give me money, I'll fly around a jet, and you will get money and have a happier, healthier life. It's a good exchange, but it's not the gospel. The great exchange was 100% sin for 100% sinless Savior, and that's what's by grace through faith we're saved. The, the new, newer kind of uprising is called the prepper gospel. Maybe you've succumbed to this, you didn't know it's defined as the prepper gospel. I got sucked into it recently. If you have enough food and Home Depot buckets, you have enough ammo, not there yet. You have enough gold or Bitcoin, certainly not even close. Like a bunker in your backyard, just a dream, right? The prepper gospel, most people aren't subscribing to this because they've already left. They're in Wyoming or Idaho. So I'm told by my pastor friends back there, they're like, we got all the prepper gospel people building bunkers, doing their own homeschool, underground, guarded by their ARs and their gold and their food. They're ready to go. They'll come out in 50 years. We'll meet them later. Maybe some of you are subscribing to that prepper gospel. The nationalistic gospel is really subservient. It's come in and we think, those that subscribe to the nationalistic gospel think that God's promises are fulfilled through the control of government legislation God's promises fulfilled through the government, legislating rules, regulations, bills that support God's word. And that's the nationalistic gospel. God's promises are for the U.S., accomplishing through the judicial system. The, the last gospel that's attacking the true gospel is gospel plus anything. Gospel plus works, gospel plus confession, gospel plus profession, Right? I went to a rally, I filled a stadium, and I walked down, I professed Christ. I've seen guys do that five times. Like, that guy, he just accepted Christ this, for the fifth time this year. What's going on? Professing. We've made it in gospel plus professing, gospel plus baptism. How many times can I get baptized? Well, do you need a shower? We could take care of this shower. Baptism and bath isn't the same thing. Like, let's talk. And we've gospel plus praying to saints and in denominations, and I mentioned it before with, with the Pope and the different history in the Catholic Church and Baptists and Presbyterians, anything, pastors, it's, it doesn't matter. It's, it's, the question is, is it Jesus? The question is, is it Jesus alone? And the gospel plus something negates everything. And so we have to be on guard because Jesus said they're coming in the church. They're coming right away. And so as I thought about it and prayed about it, I'm like, it's, it's really clear. It's the gospels by grace through faith. And there's a ton of sugar in here and it's super sweet and it's already done. You don't have to come up with ingredients to make it, bake it, create it. It's already done for Jesus, from Jesus for you. And then when we do these false gospels, the prosperity gospel, the prepper gospel, nationalistic or gospel plus anything, it just, it's not as appetizing as it wants. It's still the gospel, it's just covered up. And in Romans 1, Paul says that. When you've exchanged the truth of God for a lie, they've covered up the gospel and making it hard to access. It's heavy, it's weighty, and it's not as simple. 
And that's why so many people hear it and they go, I can't do that. Or I, I bought into it, but it just didn't work like I thought because it was the gospel plus. And it's interesting how we do this. We read these and we can be afraid. And Jesus says, no, these are, these are truths that you shouldn't be afraid. So if you see these, these lies coming, don't be fooled or afraid. We got in line in San Francisco airport to, to do the boarding pass thing since we we're going out of the country. And, and there's these pagan worshipers like head to toe in black with all their symbols and pentagrams and demonic stuff and behind me and I'm just in prayer like in Jesus' name, pray against this, don't let it bind to me and, and they left the line. I was like, praise Jesus, I get to go in front now, that's awesome. So a little selfish there but it was amazing how much exposure to the, to the pagan worship that we saw on our trip and how much in our society they've said it's, it's like 900% over the past 10 years, the pagan and demonic worship has risen. Correct people and say, hey, build your faith, grow in Christ, come walk with me. This is what's true, and we can do it out of a warm, caring heart. I don't need to name names, I know the names, I know the, the lies, and, and, if, and I've had good conversations with some of you who've said, hey, this translation or this devotional seems a little off, what does this look like, pastor? And that's why as a family we gather, and that's why from the pulpit I wanna expose it and say, hey, in these conversations, let's build each other up and walk with each other because it would be really nice just to walk into family barbecues or the workroom and break room and share the gospel and everyone's like, oh, we've, man, we couldn't wait to hear the debrief on how Sunday morning went. And you're like, yeah, here's what's going on. Oftentimes it's the opposite, right? You get to the family barbecue, everyone's been sipping on gin and juice and the food's going down and you get there a little late and you want to share the gospel and everyone's like, oh, here's the Bible thumper, lame, we're not listening to you. Like it, the world isn't, looking for Jesus, but yet Jesus is looking for them. And he's using you, he's, he's called you to that mission, saying now keep witnessing. It's gonna be hard, it's gonna get harder, but he calls us to do the impossible because he's the God that does the impossible. His promises are not bound by this world. The church isn't the hope of the world. The gospel is Jesus's. And we're to deliver the gospel because of God's love flowing through us to others around us. The promises of God in Christ can't be taken or experienced by this world because there are souls and we're to save other souls and see them redeemed and restored for eternity. So we see the next point is trusting in God's word. As we keep witnessing, trust in God's word. And that's why he's sharing his word, saying, look, when you get in my word every morning and every evening, then when you see these signs, you're gonna straighten up and be excited because I'm drawing near. There's no more need for discernment. And is this true? Is this person really for me? Are they really against me? Just gonna lie and stab me in the back. And as we're in God's word, we can see that he says in verse 33, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. This is true. We can anchor our lives on God's word. We can come back to it. Once we start from there, we can come back to it and go, okay, does this line up? We see we need to be in God's word because God's in us, and when God's Spirit's in us, and we feed God's Spirit with God's Word, then He can grow us, and He can correct us, and He can keep our eyes fixed on Him, as we see the next point, is to look for Jesus coming. What are you looking for? What are you looking forward to? Is it Jesus coming? Are you so heavenly minded that you're earthly good because you're fixed, your eyes are fixed on Jesus, that really, 
when the things of this earth don't look as appealing, then we're freed to focus on others and their needs that we could bring them the hope we have. As we see these signs pointing, we are reminded that Christ is drawing near. And the purpose of sharing this is not that we'd be afraid, but that we'd be aware. And by being aware, we're unafraid. We're unafraid because we know there's specific signs that are coming true again, which mean we need to look at his returning. As we recognize the signs, the next point, 21, chapter 21, 29 through 33, these signs only help us if we follow him. The signs are only helpful if we follow him. When he says this generation in this passage, it's the generation of the end signs. He's saying this generation, meaning this generation who experiences these signs will not pass away. It's not like Gen Z, Gen Y, once that generation dies off. No, it's the generation where the church age, where we're gonna see these signs. And as we look at these signs, are we gonna go to God's word and gain comfort? Or are we gonna go to YouTube and go, I have a dream, click here to subscribe, I'll tell you the next part. But Jesus is saying, this, these are the specific signs and you have limited time. Now go love and serve and share the gospel with people because there's only a certain amount of time before I come back. And the last Two parts are watch and pray. Readiness requires prayerfulness. We must be on the ground with our hearts weighed down by the cares of our family and friends, not of this life. Not drunk, not going, oh man, my life's confusing and the pain, I'm just gonna drink more. No, be in prayer for those who've yet to trust in Jesus. Pray for strength so that we can escape the calamities. Pray for wisdom to discern how and when and who we share the gospel with. And we keep listening to Jesus. Lastly, are we keeping God's word and his spirit full of God's true word, focusing on what's true from God's word to you? As we open this, we see that Jesus, in verse 37, every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the Mount called Olivet. Every day he went and he taught them because he wanted their hearts not to be discouraged with the coming distraction and calamities. And they kept listening to Jesus and he kept speaking to them. Are you continuing to open your ears with God's word in, in life groups or Bible studies or with your spouse? Hey, let's go through a word. You know, it's great getting away and just not having the kids or schedule and just going through Ephesians again. And here's the gospel. Here's how we can be better husbands and wives and, and lead our family to Christ. And here's the things we haven't been doing and need to keep doing. And are you having that Jesus check? And Jesus, how are we listening to you in our families, in our marriage, in our friendships, in our ministry? As we think about what, what occurred and, and what's continuing to occur as we pick up the Fox Book of Martyrs, which on the back, it's like every young child should read this. And it's super compelling and inspiring, but also heartbreaking at how many lives were given simply because they, they worship Jesus, because they declared Jesus' name. One of the earliest apologists, Tertullian, in a book called Apology, made this famous comment, the more often we're mown down by you, referring to Rome and the world, the more in number we grow. The blood of Christians is seed. It was later said that the blood of Christian martyrs is the seed of the gospel. That when those who were witnesses of Jesus were martyred, their blood 
planted the seed of the gospel that would grow and encourage faithful believers to live more faithfully, more loving, more self-sacrificing lives for the good of the gospel and the good of those around them. And, and we see when, when Peter, Peter's wife was, was martyred first and Peter saw her and, and he told her, remember again our dear Savior's name. Remember his name. Draw near to him as you go to the, the country you were destined to be, he said. Remember Jesus' name. What would you say to your spouse? What would you say to your kids if they were going to be killed as a martyr? And Peter's like, remember Jesus' name. That's why you're dying. But you're dying to go see your Savior's face. You're going to your home country. Friends, we've been on a horrible camping trip. That's all it is. The tent's falling apart, the campsite stinks, the camp post is gone, charging us, all these bills keep showing up. We're like, what is going on? This doesn't make sense anymore. And God says, I know, I'm coming to redeem and restore all that's gone wrong, just wait. And when you see these signs, don't be afraid. Here's these specific signs. When the rivers rise and the wind blows, I'm coming, get ready, look up, be ready. But the time is limited for us to share the hope we have. As my friend Rick shared last week, following that, that challenge we gave out to you to name a name, pray for them, plan a, a meal, see how you can serve them. But the hope of sharing the gospel, he said, just think of one name and pray for them and, and, and see where God might open a door for you to share the hope you have with them. The time is limited, friends. As Peter was, like Paul, warned and, and, and the church was saying, don't stay in Jerusalem, they're going to kill you. And so he was persuaded and he, as he was leaving in prayer going, God, what am I going to do? Jesus said, go, go back, go back. You need, you need to suffer there and serve the people there. And, and that's where he fully obeyed God and turned around and went back and ended up dying, becoming a martyr for Jesus. 11 out of the 12 disciples were killed a martyr's death. John was exiled to the island of Patmos. And, and as we conclude, as believers, the opportunity is limited to share the hope we have with Christ. Are we going to have that urgency? As we see the signs, they're all around and they're coming back around again. Jesus' return is very near. So let's be aware of the signs and not be afraid. And let's see these specific signs that would stir us up and cause us to be urgent because the time is limited. And we pray for those that have yet to believe. Maybe today's the day you'd respond and say, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. Come, come forward for prayer afterwards and let us know how we can walk with you, encourage you in that new walk as you follow Jesus. Let us pray. God, we thank you for this day we get to open your word. As challenging as it is to hear hard times we're ahead of the believers, but God, the promise that you gave them was you were with them. And we know as hard times are still ahead for us because your return is drawing near, we can straighten our necks and direct our gaze up, knowing our hope is in heaven, secured in you, Jesus, and that your love is flowing through us to love our spouses, our kids, our coworkers, our bosses, our enemies, and the strangers. We pray for that name that you're putting on our heart, that we'd pray for their salvation, and look for the door you're gonna open for that conversation that will allow us to share the hope we have in you with them. We pray now for those who've yet to believe that you would save them, God. You would open their eyes to see their need for Jesus and Jesus, you would be so clearly present that they would believe, receive, and possess that salvation. 
And Lord, we pray that you'd continue to work in and through us, allowing your love to flow through us to those around us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.